Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Yes, all righty. Morning, everybody. Or oh, whenever you're watching this, uh, catching up, it's so good to see you. Nice to have real people in the room, uh, including Gary Smith, who's our Festival Manchester director, and Daniel Eduardo, who is our Festival Manchester church relations manager. And uh, we had, an, I felt, an epic Festival Manchester leaders launch last Wednesday. Two events um, in person, over 400 leaders. It was so special. And the thing that actually touched me at this event was Daniel Eduardo, uh, the first two people he introduced me to were a Roman Catholic bishop, uh, followed by an Eastern Orthodox priest in his full gear. And uh, these are, you know, areas we've never really pardoned, not because we've not wanted to, but just felt like at this event, the body of Christ across our region is coming together like never before. And it was such a wonderful time. And God likes that. God loves unity. You know, I've often thought, what is the secret of Alpha? Why is Alpha the course that God seems to bless and breathe life into? And more people are coming to Christ through Alpha than any other evangelistic course globally. The reason is, yes, he loves his word. Alpha teaches people the word. He loves his spirit. He pours out his spirit. And Alpha is a course where they're open to the ministry and the gift of the spirit. Another key reason is Alpha are obsessed with unity. And they reach out to the Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox and everyone in between and all the charismatics and everybody to get involved in this course. And God likes that. And I'm really praying that through Festival Manchester, we'll see a spirit of unity and on the back of it, a spirit of God's favour and God's blessing in the way we've never seen before. If you haven't caught with Festival Manchester, go to festivalmanchester.com and find out what's happening in this region. It's amazing. So as we move towards next summer when all this is going to climax, but it was, you know, we fired the starting pistol and felt like we got out of the blocks well, so we're rejoicing in that. The other cool thing that happened last week was somebody sent me a video, a little video that had been made of uh, my friend Jane Sullivan in the community grocery just chatting with three women, um, grocery members here in Charleston who'd come to Christ. Honestly, it was precious. Next week, we'll, we'll put it up on our on our website, just three ordinary women who've fallen in love with Jesus and experienced him and communicating their faith in the most down-to-earth, powerful, amazing way. Honestly, it was so good. And I love that we got both things going on at the message. We've got a vision for a whole region, put the lamp on a stand, but we're also pouring our lives into individuals and out of their brokenness, Jesus is breaking in and doing some wonderful things. So, good times. I'm going to read a long passage, like 25 verses, from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we work through this precious book in a moment. Um, so if you've got your Bible or you've got your phone or whatever, just turn to 1 Corinthians 14, but I'll pray before we do that. What did you say? Somebody's shouting out at me. No, it's okay. Behave yourselves. Come on. Uh, let's pray. We're praying here. This is a holy moment. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence with us. Thank you for your wonderful word. We just pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us through it and encourage us. And actually, we're praying for nothing less than divine revelation today. The Holy Spirit will understand things 
and move closer to you as a result and be more effective to bring you glory and bring a harvest and fruitfulness through our lives for you, Jesus. So bless this time together. Amen. So if you remember 1 Corinthians 13, classic, one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible, the uh, chapter of love, and uh, he carries on with his theme, and then he moves into speaking about prophecy and tongues. So because Paul does it, the Bible does it, we're going to do it. And he starts off like this, and let me read this longest passage. I'll read it quickly, um, but try and stick with it. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the, to- so that the church may be edified. Now, Brothers and sisters, I come to you. If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune it's being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone's saying, I'm a foreigner to that speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager for the gift of the Spirit, try to excel in those who build the church up. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may be able to interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who's now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? And since you do not know what you're saying, you're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it's written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I'll speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for believers, unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying... They're convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Okay, so for the last few weeks, uh, we've been following Paul's teaching on their gathered worship. Well, Paul needed to teach the Corinthian church about gathered worship. Here's a brand new baby church. There's no church history. There's not hundreds of years of church history. There's no New Testament. The Gospels hadn't even been written at this point. And so some senses, the Corinthian church were winging it. 
And two beautiful things were happening as they gathered, but also two things that can become dangerous if not dealt with well. The two things that were happening in Corinth are the two things that I long for to happen in Manchester or wherever the message is ministering. The first thing is that all sorts of broken people were getting saved. You know, there was, it, there was prostitutes everywhere. It was a sex, sa- satiated city. There were a thousand temple prostitutes. You can imagine a whole bunch of those men and women getting saved, can't you? And so they were saved into the church and they had a desperate lack of love, a, a desperate need for attention. And, and this was being manifested in the way they uh, did the worship. The, even if they weren't prostitutes, they were in this sex-filled society. They were party people and they brought that culture into the church. It always happens. You know, people bring their brokenness to the church and bit by bit, God works through that. So there needs to be some correction and some order to that. Second thing that was happening that we long for is the spirit was being poured out in unprecedented measure. The fulfillment of Joel's prophecy was happening right here in Corinth where Peter brought that word right at the birth of the church from Joel. This is it. In the last days, God says, I'll pour my spirit out on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see vision. Old men will dream dreams. On all my servants, men and women, I'll pour out my spirit, says the Lord, and they will prophesy. So it's happening. It's a fulfillment. It's a good thing. But when people gather in the church, especially when broken people gather in the church, and we're all broken, aren't we, to some degree, there's always a mix and of the flesh and the spirit. Paul's strong desire is that everything is done in four, at the end of chapter 14, in a fitting and orderly way for Christians. And it was anything but in Corinth. It was chaotic. Everyone was speaking in tongues all at once. They were coming together. We know having these big feasts where they got drunk and all this craziness was going on. And outsiders were coming in and were like, what is this all about? Call themselves Christians. This is, these are crazy people. Paul always wants us to have one eye on outsiders when we gather as church. What does this look like to brand new people who've never experienced Jesus? And one of the touching things about the video I mentioned before from the grocery of these ladies who've just come to Christ is is that they said this thing I've heard so many times. We felt alienated in, in church. We felt looked down on. We felt we weren't good enough for church. And then we've come here and met Jane and experienced the grocery and suddenly we feel welcomed. How many people feel alienated by our church? How many people are turned off by the, the weird language and the, and the weird dress? And it's not just like conservative sort of religious church. The charismatic church can be just as weird to outsiders, can't it? We always have to have one eye on those who don't know Jesus. And in the Corinthian church, all kinds of strange people are prophesying so Paul gets down to detail and lays down some like foundational principles first thing he says is guys remember what I've just said follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit there's this beautiful balance especially prophecy it's always love first without love pack up go home let's shut the doors of the message 
If we're not a people of love, who pour out love to each other and to a world in need. It's the unique priority and foundation of everything. Get that right and then eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Our God responds to passion, you know. It touches his heart. He's looking for a passionate people. How passionate are you for the gifts of the Spirit? Well, the Bible says we should eagerly desire, we should be passionate for the gifts of the Spirit to be manifested in our lives. I long for a a group of people globally, and I'm praying by the time I see Jesus face to face, it'll be every nation on earth that are passionate for the gift of the evangelist desperate to be able to be soul winners in Jesus' name. Cool, funky, real, down-to-earth, Bible-loving, spirit-filled evangelists who bring in a harvest. And you might say, hang on a minute, Paul doesn't say eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially evangelism. He says especially prophecy. But you know what I want through advance? Prophetic evangelists. What do I want through the message? Prophetic evangelists. Let me explain what I mean. You see, the The gift of prophecy is not always, in fact, not even usually foretelling. We imagine prophecy as telling the future, some insight like the Old Testament prophets. That's not the way primarily God uses prophecy today. He uses that sometimes. Prophecy is telling people things that can only be known by divine revelation through the scriptures primarily. What we need is evangelists who are good at understanding the scriptures and speaking a language that people can understand and through divine revelation in a culture where Satan is, Satan is constantly at work to distort God's truth, people who understand the truth. Evangelists, I want to say this morning, wake up. No one's going to get saved unless God steps in. We have to do our part. We have to make Jesus known in the power of the Spirit through his word. We have to be prophetic, speaking out God's word to a a culture that could never understand it. That's why evangelists need to pray more, repent more, be more accountable. That's why advance is so important because we need to do our part. And at Festival Manchester, I was sharing with the leaders and it, it felt relevant to this talk again today I was sharing the leaders about my garden this winter and we had actually a really cool thing happen where a bunch of badgers a family of badgers came into our garden in our next door's garden and he even was sat on my next door's decking uh, one evening and this what do they call them brood of badgers (laughs) family of badgers badger mum and dad and cubs came up and they were literally like two yards away these badgers, and because they, they can't, they're, they're virtually blind, and because the wind was blowing the wrong direction, there they were playing about in our garden, so precious, such a lovely moment, we just sat there holding our breath while this lovely family played around in the garden, but then, and I love these badgers, until I saw what they did to my garden, <laughs> basically they trashed it, <laughs> they just dug up my garden, I mean they've got big claws those fellas, and they just dug up the garden, so beginning of April as we came into the summer season, my garden was a right mess. And I decided I need to dig it over a bit and sow some seed where these badgers had dug it up. And I, I sowed the seed at the beginning of April. And I got my watering can out and I watered this seed and I raked it and I put my sprinklers on. And yet you may remember, April was like the driest April on record. We had no rain virtually. Guess what? Nothing grew. Despite all my effort, despite sowing 
seed. The ground was just too hard. There was no rain. And I worked really hard, no results. That was the end of April. But I remember sitting on my decking last weekend, looking out on my garden. That anyone who's been around looks pretty fantastic, really. And I looked out on this grass, and it's perfectly grown. It's flourishing. And that's May. In May, I didn't do any effort. I didn't do any watering. I didn't do any sprinkling, any raking, because rain came. We went from the driest April on record to the wettest May. The rain came from heaven. That's the point. We'd sown the seed, but the soil started to get soft and the rain came and all by itself, this grass seed sprung up and God kind of spoke to me, if you like. We're going to do our seed sowing unprecedented levels, levels in tough communities across this whole region through Festival Manchester. We're going to sow good seed. But in order for the ground to be soft, we need to pray we need to come together in unity. But even when we've done all that, evangelists, we rely on the rain from heaven. We rely on the divine rain, God doing his bit. Do you get me? We, we can do our, our prophetic bit. We can, bring our, we can bring the word of the Lord, but we still rely on God to do his bit. Bring that miraculous divine revelation so people who have scales over their eyes to spiritual truth and we're seeing it day by day, just a few yards from where I've stood, suddenly their eyes are opened. God, give us those kind of evangelists. Give us those kind of preaching. All, all preachers, all true preaching should be prophetic. I want the message to be a movement that's driven forward by that. I want our Bible teachers to not bring a few platitudes, tell young people how special they are, but teach the Bible in the power of the Spirit. Teach it prophetically. You get me? Don't you want verse 25 to happen where you live? Don't you want verse 25 to happen in schools and prisons and tough communities where Paul says, if we can get this right, the secrets of people's hearts will be laid bare. They'll fall down and worship God and exclaim, God is really among you. It happens when people hear the word of the Lord, understand the word of the Lord, bring it prophetically and God brings his revelation. Do it, Lord. But Paul knew very well that that wasn't always the case. He knew there were weirdos flaunting and abusing the gift of prophecy. Guess what? 2,000 years later, there are weirdos flaunting and abusing the gift of prophecy. There are people who use the gift of prophecy like some form of materialistic fortune telling. So wrong, so scary. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 20, he brings this corrective, classic, pragmatic approach to prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, don't treat prophecy with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. I love that. Don't, whatever you do, don't treat prophecy with contempt, especially the kind of foretelling type of prophecy. When somebody stands up and says, thus saith the Lord. In fact, I don't even, I don't even believe people should say, thus saith the Lord. I think people should say, I think this is what the Lord might be saying. Might be wrong. I've been praying and I think this may be what the Lord's saying. There's a humility about that in my mind. And if it's the word of the Lord, it's going to hit home just as hard. Do you get me? Because I've seen lousy youth of prophet, use of prophecy many, many times over decades of being a Christian. I remember, well, still remember, brand new Christian being in this house group. And uh, there are all kinds of strange people in this house group. And one of the girls got pregnant. And another girl stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. 
your baby's going to be a little boy. So like 50-50 chance, really. Guess what? It was a girl. <laughs> and it was like, the Lord was just saying, no, that's not how we use prophecy, you know, to look good and manipulate things. It's always for building up and edifying. I remember one occasion, again, 30 years ago, um, upsetting time in my life. And my, my wife, Michelle, had had two late-term miscarriages. We'd had our son, Sam. Uh, we thought we weren't going to be able to have any more kids for lots of reasons. She had this second miscarriage, very upsetting, brought her back from the hospital. This woman turns up at our door, slightly mad to be honest, but she turned up and she said, thus saith the Lord, you mustn't sleep with each other for the next six months or else Michelle's uterus will burst. But the Lord has told me you're going to have another child and I'm even knitting little booties for him now. And I'm like, no, go away, woman. Stop it. That's not building up. That's not edifying. That's just weird. So, and, I, you know, and I'm testing the person and I'm also testing the word. Is it building up? Is it edifying? A couple of weeks ago, you'll know, and probably people in this room are very bored of me telling this story, but it means a lot to me, so I've got the mic. <laughs> I, was in, I was in our prayer room just uh, across the way there. And uh, Isaac Sally, who is amazing, man of God, I, I trust him. And, you know, he's got this track record of hearing the Lord. He started prophesying over me, double blessing, double favor, double anointing. Every word the Lord's brought you is going to fulfill in this next season. I felt the weight of it. And the fact that the Lord then backed that up by this double picture that Maria in Germany, as she was watching that for three minutes on the screen, two Andy Hawthorns. I find that quite exciting, don't you? I test that prophecy. I'm going to hold on to that one. That's the Lord. That's good. And I could actually build a ministry, step out in faith on the back of that. It's stepped my expectation up in an extraordinary way. It built me up. It edified me. Key thing is that, building up and edifying. Seven times in this passage, Paul says, Prophecy is meant to edify. Tongues are meant to edify. Read it. Verse 2, twice in verse 4, verse 5, verse 12, verse 17, verse 26. Church should be an edifying, illuminating experience where we receive that divine revelation. That's why we should come into church or come into Tuesday prayers or whatever it is on tiptoes of excitement. We should go to our church. Wow, God could reveal something to me that will utterly change my situation, change my expectation, and it, as a result, change my life. Which is why Paul has a beef with everybody babbling on in tongues at the same time. Who's edified by that? Apart from you, says Paul. Well, we're meant to build up the body. The whole thing is we're meant to be looking vertically, but also looking horizontally. How is the way I worship, how is what I do in church encouraging my brothers and sisters? Paul actually says, whenever someone brings a tongue in the church, they should have an interpretation. I mean, we largely ignore that in the church. Occasionally we hear interpretations when somebody speaks in tongues. Funny, isn't it, how we pick and mix bits of the Bible in, that we accept and practice? It seems like quite a strong word, this from Paul. Otherwise, it should be just for personal edification. Paul doesn't diss the gift of tongues, far from it. He says he eagerly desire the gift of tongues. I speak more in tongues than any, anyone else. That's what he says. He uses the gift, but he uses it primarily for personal edification, for his walk with the Lord. 
Paul would much rather a church or ministry that truly uses the prophetic gift well. So basically what we're trying to say this morning is, in the words of the boss, give us a hungry heart. The boss, the Lord Jesus, not Bruce Springsteen. Give us a hungry heart, God. Give us a heart for you primarily and your gifts and the ability to use them well. Always on the foundation of love. Always primarily to build up the body. See, there is a life of joy, people. There's a life defined by serving others. A life where I use my gifts for the benefit of others. Always wanting to edify, always wanting to encourage, always wanting to build up. And there's a life of misery. It's <laughs> a life pushing yourself forward, jostling for promotion, trying to look good in the front of others, doing stuff in your own strength. Oh, trying to do God's work, man's way is just hard work and ends in frustration and misery. So to wrap it all up, I'm going to put this big question that I read from Francis Chan somewhere, maybe on social media or somewhere, or a question that we should all be asking. If everyone prayed and served and sacrificed like you, would the church be strong and fruitful or weak and listless? So let's allow the Holy Spirit just to illuminate. What about you? What about the way you hunger, desire God's gifts for the benefit of others and the glory of Jesus? What about if everyone prayed like you? If everyone, if everyone in this room or everyone watching online prayed like you, would the church be strong and fruitful? What if everyone served like you, gave themselves to serving and blessing others? What if everyone sacrificed like you? Would the church be strong and fruitful or would it be defined by being weak and listless? Oh, help us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak right into our hearts. And we pray you'll raise up a people eagerly desiring spiritual gifts for your glory and for the blessing of others. Help us to use your precious gifts well. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>